It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. Friday morning, the 20th of January. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reid on LMFM. At 1 o'clock tomorrow afternoon, protests will be staged outside of 17 emergency departments across the country. And these will take place in Cork University Hospital, Kerry, Galway, Mayo, Sligo, Letterkenny, Causeway Coast, Daisy Hill, Newry, Monaghan, Cavan, Mullingar, Drogheda, Connolly, Blanchetown, Nace and Wexford. People will come out in their thousands and they will start that protest with a minute silence for the hundreds of people who die on an annual basis due to the overcrowding that's happening in our hospitals. Ainter's Pedro Bean highlighted some of the problems in hospitals to the doll yesterday. My focus is on solutions uh, to these issues and you, you referenced all of the A&Es that were closed down through the years. I mean... I'm very clear um, there were clinical decisions you and I think what you're you're, you're reversing yeah, look you couldn't get anesthetists you couldn't get the, the correct uh, medical quali- quali- qualified people Michal Martin responding to Pater Tobin the Tánaiste told the AIM2 leader when emergency departments closed they closed so as to give patients the best standard of care I've been through it all for 20 years deputy I see politicisation of health when I see it, nakedly so, in, in your case here. Patrick Tobin is on the line with us. And a very good morning to you. Uh, naked politicisation of health services the Tánaiste accused you of yesterday. Well, my biggest problem here is I can't understand how the Tánaiste, the government and the HSE can't join the dots between closing A&E capacity and an A&E capacity crisis. I just, I can't fathom how they can't understand that if you close A&Es and then you have 120,000... Why do you call them A&Es? I call them A&Es because most people call them A&Es well, in the community. You know that they're called emergency departments. They're emergency departments uh, officially, but if you're down the town talking to uh, anybody on the streets, most people will say, I was up in the A&E last night. That's why I call it an A&E. Right, OK. Uh, it's the lingua uh, and uh, and did, they close, did they close the A&E in Cavan or in Drogheda or in Blanchardstown? No, and the reason why, why, why are there protests are, taking place outside of those hospitals? Because there's a wonderful thing in, in humanity called solidarity, uh, and that means that 
even when you're not in trouble yourself, you will come and stand in solidarity with other mm. people who are in trouble. And, and actually, many people who are involved in the, in the, in the thousands of people who came out in, in the hospital campaigns in Navin for years, mm. most of those stood in solidarity with those who needed. The thing about it is, Michael, and this is an important issue, one day, every single one of us will need an A&E. And the real big question is, there won't be any because they're called emergency departments. Why, why, why is there a, um, a protest taking place outside of the emergency department in Drogheda? That doesn't even have a hospital campaign group. Well, in, in fairness, there are hospital campaign uh, groups uh, right through the country who are involved in this. And many people, uh, where the, there isn't a hospital campaign group, we have had people who've just stood up to the plate uh, and have decided to help out and organise a campaign. Uh, in those they days. see a political opportunity in this, is it? Uh, because uh, I'm not sure what opportunity there is in campaigning a- about the downgrading of uh, Drado and all that's happened there is that it's being upgraded and it is one of the best performing hospitals in the country. Well, first of all, I, I welcome the fact that before Christmas, uh, Michael O'Dowd held a protest outside of Drogheda and the TDs and all the political parties joined with him. Is he still a uh, member of AIN too? He is still a member of AIN2, yes. But oh, so is this an AIN2 protest tomorrow? All of the TDs, Sinn Féin, uh, Labour, uh, came out and stood in solidarity with Michael in relation to that. Why? Because if Navin closes, Drogheda isn't big well, I think they stood in solidarity with the and, doctors. Uh, and uh, AIN2 uh, set up a, a political um, hospital campaign group in Drogheda uh, because uh, you see votes in this. I, listen, I, I won't apologise uh, for AIN2 activists getting stuck into the bread and butter issues that are affecting people. No, but Michael O'Dowd, has found, Michael O'Dowd has found it very hard to get votes for, what is it, 10 or 15 years now? But, like, uh, <laughs> if it is a case that we're going to start condemning people for being useful in society or helpful in society or working for the needs of the people in society... Well, I'm not condemning anybody. The Taoiseach said, or no, the Taoiseach no. said it was naked politicisation of health services, and I suppose uh, that's what I'm trying to tease out with you. All I'm trying to say is that there were 120,000 people who were left on trolleys last year, right? That needs a political response, Michael. It really does. Now, there was 105,000 adverse incidents in, mm. in, in 2021. That's where 105,000 people were damaged by the health services in this state some up to death, and some up to being disabled. That needs a political response, Michael. Okay, you've surprised me by your answer because I had expected you to say that uh, the hospitals work in uh, concert with each other. It's a network of hospitals and that if you downgrade Navin, for example, then you're going to put pressure on Drogheda and that's why people in Drogheda will protest because they're concerned about it. But (laughs) if you were to follow that line of logic, I'd have to ask you why there's protests taking place in the north. Well, again, you have a situation in the north of Ireland where people are suffering because of a massive overcrowding in the north. And in the north, we don't have a situation where we have an assembly to help the hospital crisis be fixed. And people are suffering just in exactly the same way. But so they're in a in, different in, jurisdiction. That, uh, the the, the, the crisis there is not linked in any way at all to the crisis here, is it? Well, I live in the island of Ireland. Here is the 32 counties of Ireland. When I What's the GEA? I know, I but they're two uh, different jurisdictions, but they're not just even two d- different jurisdiction, jurisdictions, they're two different health authorities. And what's your point? Are, are, are people in, in Uri not entitled to a health service in the same way people in Donegal? Are people in no, Gannon not entitled to a health service? In I'm the same sure way they are, but, 
but, are people but, in Derry not entitled? But is to this an aim to protest head? tomorrow, or is this uh, no, a, a, a protest over hospital services uh, in this country, or is it aimed to making an all island approach uh, in terms of politicising problems in both jurisdictions? I think you're being mischievous, Michael. And I know I'm, 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 I, I'm I, teasing know. out the accusation right. that the Tarnister made in the House uh, yesterday to you. If, if you were teasing it out, Michael, you'd give me a chance to say more than five syllables in a row, in fairness, okay? Because in every sentence that I've started, you've cut me short. So, if, if you want to know the background of this campaign, first of all, the, um, the Ennis campaign that's involved, it has a Sinn Féin uh, member uh, in charge of that. Limerick, there's no political background in the Limerick campaign that are out tomorrow. In Nina, there's no political background uh, in relation to that. In the one in, in, in Uri and Daisy Hill, no political background in relation to that. Many of the campaigns that are out t- tomorrow are simply hospital campaigns in the same way that the Navin Hospital campaign and they're cross-party, they're cross-community, and they're working for the benefit of the people. In some areas, we have political activists who are involved. Some of them are members of my fine movement, Others are independents, and others are from different political parties. You didn't convince anybody in Dundalk to protest. Well, I tell you what, Michael, let me tell you this, right? Never before in the history of the state has there been now 18 hospital uh, groups out in protests outside of hospitals around the country. That in itself is unprecedented, okay. and it's a, it is a massive response. Okay, but Dundalk is very important from our listeners' perspective, and not just because many of our listeners live in Dundalk, but for people uh, who are served by the hospital in Navan, uh, because you had exactly identical, uh, an identical situation in Dundalk. You had 10,000 people just uh, as was the case protesting uh, about the hospital in Navan, protesting about the hospital in Dundalk. They downgraded it to what many called a lumps and bumps hospital. Now most people think, well, it's actually working. Uh, Dundalk provides a, a great service. Drogheda is the centre of excellence. So there's 360 people dying this every year in this country in relation to hospital overcrowding. Um, we had just in the news on your, on your own radio station very recently figures quoted of up to 950 people. We know there's a direct correlation between people who are on trolleys and morbidity and mortality. We know that. We also know, um, in relation to figures that are, are coming out, that there's a direct relation for people dying and the length of time it gets to be treated in the health service. And that's why I have spent the last month coordinating campaigns around the 32 counties to make sure that we send a message both to the southern government and to the absent executive in the, in the north that they need to get their acts together to save people's lives. It's as mm. simple as that. Right. This is a life and death issue. I don't think anybody can argue with that. I honestly don't think anybody can argue with that. It's a complete crisis uh, in health services and it is most obvious uh, when it comes uh, to emergency department care. I'm sure that a lot of people will want to support. That's at one o'clock tomorrow at the hospitals where it's planned to protest. Did you say there's 18 hospitals now involved? 18, 18 hospital campaigns involved uh, around the country at the moment and that is unprecedented, Michael, never before. And, and it shows people are furious. People are angry. And I really urge people, don't stand idly by on this, because right now the government is still looking to close A&Es around the country. Even the, the, the fact that they have closed eight A&Es, which has led in significant measure to this crisis, senior consultants in Limerick have admitted for the first time that it was a mistake to close 
Ennis A&E. When senior consultants in the HSC are admitting that closure of A&E is a mistake, how can the HSC still proceed and close more A&Es in this A&E crisis? Mm-hmm. And that's why I'd say to people, if you don't come out tomorrow, you may not have an A&E there for you in the future. Please join us at one o'clock across all of the hospital campaigns across the country, except in Limerick, with that starting at 11 a.m. Okay. That's in Limerick at 11, but uh, for everybody else at one o'clock. Before we wrap up, uh, we've obviously got a political crisis. Uh, Do you believe uh, that Pascal Donoghue will be the Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform come this time next week? I believe that uh, Pascal Donoghue is considered... uh, too important uh, in Fine Gael to let go too easy. Uh, and the reason being is because if Pascal has to resign on this issue, Leo Vracker or Simon Coveney could have to resign on a similar issue in the future. So they're doing their best to protect him. I do think that he has probably made his life more difficult by stringing this issue into another week. Had he had the decency just to answer the questions that were being put to him in relation to this this week, he could have actually uh, finished the crisis for himself. The big issue I have is... We have a history in the state of golden circles uh, buying influence in governments in in the past. And that's one of the reasons why we have this new system where people have to declare exactly where the money uh, that is donated to them comes from. Uh, And, you know, in this case, we know that the donor uh, did get named onto the board of the Land Development Agency. And the donor was named by Pascal Donoghue as the uh, the head of the North East uh, Inner City Group. And... You know, there, if there is a link between money um, that is given to politicians and their access to influence, the people need to know about it. And uh, Pascal Dunhu needs to fu- fully come clean on this. Okay. Well, we'll be hearing much more about this today and indeed tomorrow and on Sunday and on Monday and on Tuesday. Whether it ends there or indeed uh, whether it's wrapped up before then, uh, I suppose, is anybody's guess at at this stage. We'll leave it there for the moment. Remind people that the protests are taking place at one o'clock outside most hospitals, 17 hospitals and 11 o'clock in Limerick tomorrow. And thank you indeed uh, for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Peter Tobin is the founder and leader of uh, the Aim2 Party and a TD for Mead West as well as being the chair of the Save Navin Hospital campaign. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. So Pascal Donoghue put uh, this uh, scandal about his political donations to bed on Wednesday. He said he wasn't going to answer any more questions about it until he was asked those questions by Sippo and he would uh, address those questions when he was asked by Sippo. So that was the end of it until yesterday morning when Pascal Donoghue was back in the doll in his role as Minister for Public Expenditure and he was to be asked questions relating to his role as Minister, but Sinn Féin went off script. There is no way that we can go into business as usual here today in relation to our questions. When we look at what has happened over the last number of days and the scandal um, that the Minister has been embroiled in over the last number of days, and the Minister has failed to clarify in relation to this scandal. And there's a number of questions because the Minister failed to answer questions yesterday in the Dáil that I still, and I want to put to the Minister today. Ara, who in 2017 brought it to your attention that the company van that was used in 2016, and what action did you take and at what value did you calculate that work? Thank you, Deputy. Ara. Deputy, Deputy, sorry, no, just I'm, I'm on priority questions here. Uh, and yeah. I'm asking for you, I've said it. 
the outset. There is no way that we can go back to business as usual when the Minister is refusing to answer questions. The Minister now has an opportunity to answer those questions. Indeed, he has an hour and a half period to answer questions. So we should use those questions to be answered. Could you take your seat, please? I'm asking those questions now. But for the minister to answer these questions. Right. The last Corla struggled but failed to get Mairead Farrell of Sinn Féin back on script. Uh, this prompted Pascal Donoghue to make this comment. Uh, look, uh, I'll deal with that question, but I do also want to say that I do plan to make a further statement um, in relation to uh, issues involving uh, uh, the 2016 general election campaign and matters that were put to me last night. Okay, so Pascal Donoghue there buying some time, if you like. Uh, it didn't really work out that way. Ara, I've asked a number of questions and I haven't gotten a response to it. I think this is the perfect opportunity, Minister. Your first ministerial questions as Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, your first um, questions in this, in this, um, in this year, I think y- you could have the perfect opportunity. I mean, Minister, you know the answers to these questions. You can give us the answers to these questions. I don't understand in any point of view um, as to how it would be beneficial for you not to answer Deputy these questions Farrell, here today. So I've listed a few and I and I'll ask you to answer them. Alan Farrell was in the chair, told her she was wasting her time, uh, told her to get on with it, get back on script, uh, but uh, there was no stopping this train. Come back yes, and I've asked the Minister questions. to ask the que- answer the questions. The Minister has not answered the questions. Like, I mean, I mean, I can give him a whole range of questions, but the reality is the Minister has the answers to these questions. He has the opportunity in this doll. I mean, he has mini- it's ministerial questions for the Minister for Public Expenditure Reform. There are questions to be answered. The Minister refused to do that yesterday. He has the absolute perfect opportunity okay, to do you. that today. So Deputy why doesn't he? Want to raise a point of order. Right, uh, she was told to get back on script, ruled out of order. Enter Jed Nash of Labour. Point of order. Make sure it's a point Further of order. Statement. Please, in relation to your 2016 uh, statement to the um, Standards and Public Office Commission, when do you plan to do that? Okay. Have you made that Thank request you, directly to the Ken Corla? It's a point of order, I think, it's, the it's Minister. Really, it's really not. Might clarify. It would be helpful to move this. It, 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 it might section of our business on. Order. Take your seat, please. Right. Neighbours <laughs> Chad Nash told us to sit down. Not a point of order. Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty thought it was a point of order. A Minister of the Government has just announced that he's going to make a further statement. Okay. On a point of order, I want to know if the order of this House is going to be changed. You can raise ma- that with your whip, I would imagine. Actually, I'm, I'm raising it now. No, you can raise it with your whip, definitely. I'm raising it now. We can't change the order today. No. We can't change the, the order minister, at the moment. I can't change with the order. Respect, you with can't change the order, therefore it's not a point of order. But actually, the minister seat. can change the order. So the minister, minister can't change the order. The minister the house what, changes the order. The, as you'd be very much well, aware, deputy, you're not here. With respect, now. with you respect, take your seat, please, with respect, so the house. Move on with the business. Of with the respect, day. the house has to have a proposal, and it can only come from government. There's, it, there's, it can there's, only come from government. There's no proposal. Take your seat, please. I I want clarification. As I want I said, clarification. Ray, take it up with your whip. Who can raise it with the other? The minister has announced on the floor of the doll that Take he is going seat. to make a further Deputy statement. Seat. I'm, I'm not, I want to move on with the business of the day. There's important a question. statement has been made and clarification is required. Deputy, there's important questions on the paper. It's Take unbelievable. Seat, please. Deputy National, Take your seat, But my direct please. question, just in relation seat, to when Thank he intends you. to Deputy, make the statement seat, and the if he's made the request. I've no doubt the Minister will be happy to answer Deputy, that very clear question. Jed Nash and Pierce Doherty adding to the pressure that was already being applied by Mairead Farrell. Gurmagat, um... Ari, you've said that you're going to make a statement. What I'd like to know is, will it be questions and answers? Because there are a lot of questions that need to be answered. So can you tell us that it's a question and answers? You choose to do so, that's your business. But you are wasting your own time. Absolutely not. These are questions that need to be answered. So I'm asking the Minister, is he going to do a Q&A or is it going to be a statement again? 
on the, on the paper, please. Uh, uh, I just want to reiterate what I've already said, that I do plan to make a further statement. I have not yet indicated to Karen Corla uh, regarding uh, when that will be, but of course that's inside his decision to grant us. And at the earliest opportunity, uh, I want to make a uh, further statement on the matter and uh, uh, ensure that the information that I am sharing is as accurate as possible regarding the format of that, uh, Deputy Farrell. I have not got to the point, yes, obviously much of it is at the discretion of the Count Corla as well, um, but I do uh, just want to indicate again my intention to give further information on the matter. Right, that's Pascal Donahue speaking yesterday, saying he was going to make a further statement. The same minister who said on Wednesday he wasn't going to say any more about this. Did Michael Stone pay people to put up posters for in the 2020 general election? And there was no stopping these questions. Can Corley, before we go into promise legislation, can I just raise an issue on a point of order, with your indulgence? No points of order here. On these no, no. This, this is a genuine point of order um, in relation to the order of the House. I think it's important that deputies would know in terms of what is before us. I understand all opposition parties requested a question and answer sessions with Pascal Donoghue later this afternoon. I think it's appropriate that deputies would be informed whether the order of the House is going to be altered and whether what was unanimously agreed by oppositions and put forward in terms of question and answer sessions will be facilitated today. I think that that's a fair... With by the Business Committee as soon as communication is had from the Minister in relation to this matter. Do we take it that the Minister hasn't requested that? Well, the Minister has been here all morning answering questions to members, so he, he hasn't managed to bilocate yet. But it's on social media. So, uh, in, in, fairness, in fairness, Tancorlia, with respect, we all have staff, and the Minister has more staff than many of us, uh, to send an email looking to make a statement before the House. I think it's appropriate that this is facilitated today, and again, right. that it is in question and okay. answer session. Tanishta, are you in a position to clarify what is going to happen in terms of the proposed statement? the Minister has referred to, or can the Minister clarify this? My understanding is that the Minister has offered to come before the House at the earliest opportunity. And and would that include today? I'm not in a position to come in front of the House this afternoon, but I am going to come in front of the House at the earliest possible opportunity. I gave an indication in the Dáil on the repeater questioning this morning that I did want to come back. I wanted to update the House. I've looked to fulfil my commitments to this House as well as I can. I'm committed to continuing to do so. Right, so Pascal who made it clear he's willing to make a statement. He wasn't in a position to make the statement yesterday. God knows why. But at least the last Count Corla understood that he had said that he would come back and answer questions about this or make a, a further statement uh, and you may have heard people saying well it's surprising you don't know that because it's already on social media it, it, it may be clear but it is completely and utterly unacceptable it is completely and utterly unacceptable we're not getting into completely and utterly unacceptable that the minister is saying he won't come before the house until next week sorry absolutely unacceptable all right, many will wonder why the Minister is dragging it out for another five days. That the Minister has, uh, uh, has said that he will not be before the House until next week and he still hasn't indicated with the opposition requesting that he answer questions in a question-answer session Please, that he's willing Deputy, to do that. that. In the matter, middle of this scandal, I think that that's a valid point to make. Dealt with. 
It really was remarkable pressure that was applied to Pascal Donoghue in the Dáil yesterday. The matter is that there was a donation, which your own candidate, in fairness, disclosed how much it cost to put up election posters in the same constituency in the same election. It was €4,920. A businessman offered that service to Pascal Donoghue. He didn't declare it. Any donation above 600 whether it's a donation in hard cash or donation in kind, has to be declared. And it is unlawful to accept a donation above €1,000. That is what the core allegations here are. And the problem that Pascal Donoghue has, when he was pointed out that at least the van was used in 2017, he didn't do anything about it. He overseen this legislation, didn't do anything about it. In 2011, last year, sorry, he said that he carried out a review and everything was in order when a number of journalists put these questions to him. So what we need is accountability. The same accountability that Leo Varadkar had when he was subject to a Garda investigation and a SIPO investigation. The Minister needs to come before the House and answer questions. And can I ask you, will you facilitate that? Will you facilitate the opposition putting and getting questions from the Minister? And did you ask Pascal Donoghue in relation to any of these matters? For example, did Michael Stone pay for the erection of posters for him in his campaign in 2020? The Minister has conceded and will address the doll on Tuesday. The question is, will he hang on that long? Michael Michael Reed on on LMFM. Now to the shocking news uh, that after 26 years, 580 jobs are to go when Argus closes its 34 shops and leaves uh, the country on the 24th of June. Deputy Quinlevin raised the issue of Argus to close all Irish stores announced today. Uh, I think our hearts go to the employees in the first instance. That's shocking news for them. Uh, and I will talk to the Minister for Enterprise uh, in terms of can he engage with, with the union to make sure that everything we can do for those workers, that we do in, in the event of redundancies, uh, first of all, can we secure alternative, first of all, the 30-day consultation, can anything be rescued, can we secure alternative employment and whatever other supports through training that we can give the workers. And, and then Deputy Costello raised the issue. That's uh, the Thonish uh, Hall Martin speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday. Keith Pollard, a divisional organiser for the North East region with uh, the Mandate Trade Union, is on the line. Good morning, Keith. Thanks uh, for joining us on uh, the programme. I think you could have blown most of us over when we heard uh, that news yesterday. It, it came as a, a bolt out of the blue to those of us not close to this. Uh, was it a, a complete surprise to the staff? Um, well, look, come here. An announcement like this, Michael, um, is always a huge shock to the staff. Um, I was only talking to one of my shop stewards this morning, who you know described it as like a death in the family. Um, in their store yesterday when the news broke. Um, some of these staff have been working for the company since they came to Ireland 26 years ago. And you know they've been working with the same people day in day out um, for the last number of years and obviously it's a, it's a huge shock a huge um, disappointment right, that um, over 500 jobs have been lost um, in, this, in this manner Right. Uh, there was trouble though wasn't there a pre-tax loss of over 13 million recorded before Christmas and sales down by over 21% There was, there was Michael um, the, the company was um, in difficulty and mandate had been um, obviously available to, the, to sit down, discuss and negotiate um, possible changes. But unfortunately, the company made the decision to, to pull out of Ireland on, on the whole, on, on mass, um, thus creating, or just, you know, creating the loss of 500 and odd jobs. 
do you believe that's the wrong decision because comparisons have been made between Argos here and Argos in the UK and how it's operating out of Sainsbury's? Do you believe there was the possibility or the potential for them to change their business model and to save the business here and the jobs with it? Well, look, in the UK, you're correct. Sainsbury's are the parent company. They bought Argos a number of years ago. And I suppose in the UK, they do have the, the what would I say, the opportunity opportunity to move stores into the big Sainsbury stores where they can operate and I think over the border in Norway um, there is a, there's a Sainsbury's that has an Argos attached to it um, could could there be a different business model in in the Republic um, I'm not too sure on that um, obviously we would have been available and willing to look into that and explore every possibility um, with a view to saving as many jobs as possible okay. and you know that, that's something that we will be raising during the 30 day consultation period with uh, the company and that's where your focus is now I mean you've obviously accepted the decision and trying to get uh, the best redundancy terms uh, for your members obviously the correct um, yes the best redundancy terms that we can get um, possible um, also to put the correct supports in place for um, any staff who are any members who are losing their jobs such as CV preparation um, interview skills etc etc Should uh, the staff losing their jobs be concerned uh, that they face into a long term uh, uh, of unemployment or are there jobs in retail for the staff that are working in Argos with the skills that they have uh, because there seems to be a question about old fashioned retail if you like and where retail is going into the future. Well, I think, look, come here, it, it is a concern, um, especially since the, the, the COVID pandemic. Um, you know, shopping habits have changed. Um, I think there's an, an awful lot of, you know, and people need to consider, um, do they want to have high streets or, you know, bricks and mortar shops, or are they more happy to go along with the, the online um, side of things? We would encourage people to shop in their local area, to shop in the in bricks and mortar stores, um, you know, because that does create jobs, right? And the more that these companies move or the more shopping habits move online, um, the the more job losses that there will be in retail. But we would be confident, Michael, of hope, helping um, our members in Argos to secure employment in retail. Um, w- when, when eventually the, the store does, the stores do close. All right, uh, it's not just uh, the online aspect of it; it's the big store aspect as well, and the competition uh, apparently that has come from the likes of uh, IKEA and the pressure that that put on Argus, and the fact that people can walk into these other big shops that were competing with Argus and touch and feel the goods. Um, well, look, come here. The, the Argos model has been around for uh, since you know the, the, the stores first opened. You know, nineteen seventy-three, I, I think, Michael, in the UK, in nineteen ninety-six. Here, yeah, yeah. Like, um, I don't know about yourself, but I remember as a child, you know, the with Argos great catalog. excitement when the new Argos catalogue <laughs> was released, and yeah. mm. you know. Yeah. Um, I think I think on one or two occasions my mum might have used that as a, a little bit of a distraction for me here. Have a look at the have a look at the the, the Argos catalogue and go through it. Yeah. But there was great excitement. And look, do do I think that that model um, is is passed? No, I, th- I do think that there was if there is um, an area for that. Right? Um, are the big multinationals um, 
contributing to the closure of some of these, the likes of Argos, yes, right, mm. you know, like the, the likes of Amazon mm. um, would be a huge competitor. Um, but it all goes back to then, you know, like people saying, you know, if there, if there is to be jobs in retail, if there is to be bricks and mortar locations, people have to start shopping there. And mm. we would encourage people to shop in their bricks and mortar stores. Mm. Um, and it's sort of part of uh, the retail fabric in this country after being here for so long. Uh, but it adds its name now to the likes of Roaches or Clearies, uh, the old Clearies or Guineas or Debenhams. Uh, and yeah. uh, we're seeing a, a huge shift, I suppose. We, we are seeing a shift, yes. Um, and I think that, you know, there, there, there is other aspects that the government can assist with. Um, you know, you look at the own, the likes of an awful lot of these mm. properties in shopping centres or on the high street um, are upward only rent reviews um, where, you know, the, it, it, it can actually work out cheaper mm. for um, a company to close down a store yeah. right, or more efficient to close down a store rather than to continue paying the rent. And I think that's something that has to be looked at and has to be examined because if we do need, if we do want to have a vibrant high street um, shopping experience yeah. in Ireland. It's something that all parties are going to have to look at. I think the consumer is going to suffer. Uh, as a consumer, I say that because there was great choice and we're going to have less choice. They carried 60,000 items uh, if uh, you ever shopped in Argus. Uh, and if you were ever looking for something, you'd usually get it at Argus and probably get it cheaply at that. Uh, and it'll be a great loss to the consumer and it'll be uh, missed by many people. But obviously, our, our thoughts are with uh, the 580 staff and uh, we wish them the very best uh, into the future and indeed uh, the union with. Uh, the negotiations on their behalf. Keith, thank you indeed for joining us on the programme this morning. Thanks very much, Michael. Keith Pollard, Divisional Organiser for the North East Region with Mandate. Michael, Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, it certainly is a scandal that uh, Pascal Donoghue has been answering questions about. Let's talk to Adam Higgins, political correspondent with uh, the Irish Sun. Good morning, Adam, and thank you indeed for joining us on uh, the programme today. There's no doubt there's pressure on the Minister. There's pressure on top of pressure. The Minister is on the ropes, it would seem. How much trouble is Pascal Donoghue in? Well, it's a, a significant amount of trouble, really. This was a very quick U-turn from Minister Donoghue. So just on Wednesday night, he said that he would not be uh, talking about this again. He wouldn't be commenting about this again until Sipple had decided whether they were going to investigate it. Less than 24 hours later, he comes back into the doll and says he wants to make another statement about it. So a very quick U-turn. And I think the... This is all going to happen now on Tuesday at about four o'clock. The minister will come in and he will take on questions with the opposition on this. And the format of that will be important because originally what on Wednesday what the opposition wanted was the minister to come in, give a little speech and tell them what happened. And then each of the opposition uh, parties would get a couple of minutes to go back and forth with the minister asking questions in detail and getting answers back straight away. Instead, what we had was this kind of uh, a strange situation on Wednesday where the minister came in, did a little speech. Each of the opposition were given a few minutes to say something but weren't getting answers. And then there was a five-minute opportunity for the minister to wrap up again in which he really played a, a great performance of dodgeball in swerving questions and not really answering the details that the opposition wanted. Mm. That really did not go down well. That kind of dodge did not go down well. And so the minister has come back in now and will come back in on Tuesday to... to try and face this down and put it to bed. Because as is always uh, the case in uh, the doll, the 
clock is ticking and you eventually run out of time. Pascal Dunhoop talked down the clock and then there wasn't the opportunity uh, for him to be pressed on those questions. So they went unanswered. It seemed nobody was impressed with that. And then he went back into the doll yesterday to uh, go about his business as minister in the doll, but became under sustained pressure uh, with Mairead Farrell in particular starting the ball rolling, going off script and asking questions about his election expenses. That's right. These were supposed to be ministerial questions on different issues in relation to his brief, but instead Sinn Féin pressed on this election expenses issue which the minister didn't want to answer and then he agreed, okay, look, I'll come back in, I'll do this. Now, the, the, the opposition wanted him to do it yesterday, get it over and done with. He said he had meetings and couldn't do it, so he spoke with the Kieran Corla and we're going to get this uh, on Tuesday. And there is a lot of questions left to ask, and I think from from some a point of view, this does seem to be not getting it done yesterday. Does seem to be a bit of an own goal from the minister because now we've got this five day gap where there's going to be more media coverage. All the Sunday papers are going to be talking about this, and this uh, issue and scandal will roll on into next week. So it does kind of extend this out and makes it a longer and a bigger problem for the minister that he didn't do it yesterday and instead after the go next week. And it's a story that's going to be impossible to avoid over the next five days if people had hadn't noticed up to now, uh, they certainly will by Tuesday. Uh, Is it possible that the minister won't last that long? No, no, I don't think so. I think... In, in a way, Minister Dunahoo is too big to fall on this sort of an issue. He has the, the support across the, the government parties. We saw the Green Party leader, Eamon Ryan, and Michal Martin yesterday backing him up, the Taoiseach, of course, backing him up. Now, importantly, some of the... They were kind of cut off guard that the minister was going to go back into the doll as well because the Taoiseach yesterday was asked directly, do you think there's any more information that's going to come out when he says it again? And the Taoiseach says, I want to wait and see what... what uh, Minister Dunhu has to say, Eamon Ryan, very similar. So I think everybody really is, is kind of holding their breath and looking towards Tuesday to see what is he going to say and what's going to come out of it. And is there any going to be any new further revelations that will, you know, heat this up again? OK, talk us through it, if you would, Adam. Uh, what are the questions that the opposition want the minister to answer? So just for your, to give your listeners an underlying understanding of, of how this all happened, last week um, it came out there was a complaint to SIPO about... Uh, and election expenses that were given to Minister Donoghue uh, in the 2016 general election. So that's when this all dates back to. So what happened was, what the minister said happened was, a supporter of his, Michael Stone, a businessman in Dublin, paid more than a thousand euro for posters to be put up and taken down during that election. Now, Minister Donoghue says he didn't know that that expense was being paid, so he didn't know that he had to declare this donation. Since he uh, found this out, he then changed the record and he has been in touch with SIPO. SIPO now are considering whether they need to investigate it. So that's kind of in a nutshell the issue. But a lot of small details now have started to be questioned by the opposition. For example, the opposition are very curious of how he got such a great deal because Mary Fitzpatrick told the media earlier this week, and she's in the same constituency as Minister Dunning, that she paid €5,000 for postering expenses in that election. Mm. And Minister Dunning says he got it for just... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. 
Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Over a thousand euro. So is there kind of a, a mates-rates deal there, and does that affect it? But also, it's interesting that the minister says the donation was made to Fine Gael party by Michael Stone, as opposed to him directly. Now, that's important because there is a rule that... Um, an individual donation to a personal politician can only be a thousand euro, and this was a little bit over that. So, if that is over that, it, it kind of you have to mm. nail down which category this is going to be in as well. Right. So, the level of the donation, where it was made, this mates rates issue, and then another key question is: Did this happen again in 2020? Which the minister hasn't really clarified yet. Right. So, you can receive a donation of up to a thousand euro without declaring it. If it goes over the thousand euro you're obliged to declare it. Mm. Uh, and uh, the minister is contending that uh, it's only gone over the €1,000 because of the use of a, a van by these six fellows who put up these posters uh, and that it would have been within the limits otherwise. Is that right? That's right, yeah. So this is where this nitty-gritty needs to be nailed down. And the minister tried to give us more details on this uh, and in a speech on Wednesday, but it's really been, holes have been picked in that story now, and I think it needs to be all laid out. He needs to do uh, one-on-one with the you know the likes of Pierce mm. Doherty and Jed Nash and nail out these details. And another interesting thing that came out on Wednesday was the minister said, look, this isn't, you know, doesn't need to be declared, but I'm going to declare it anyway because I want to get out all my cards on the table. That he sold a number of raffle tickets for a Fine Gael raffle to Michael Stone. Now, the number of those raffle tickets is nearly €2,000 over two years. So one year it was, I think, 1100 and something euro. The other year it was 400 and something. It, there was a, a significant amount of money for that Fine Gael raffle. Now, that's a donation to the party. It doesn't break any rules, but it does kind of show you the, that the money's changing hands here and, and, and it's kind of an interesting relationship there. Mm. But Michael's Stone, by all means, is a businessman who supports Fine Gael and is a supporter of Minister Donoghue and a close friend of Minister Donoghue as well. So mm. it does, the optics around it aren't great. All right. And then if you go back to the posters issue, there's also that question of mates' rates, uh, as I think Roisin Shorthall put it, uh, and uh, you mentioned there a second ago. And even if he did get these posters up and down, uh, which I think Jed Nash was saying it would usually be three euro to put them up and two euro to take them down. Uh, everybody is saying, how did you get such a, a good deal? Uh, but even if he did get that good deal, it doesn't matter uh, because uh, if it was worth five thousand and he got it for a thousand, it's the commercial value. It's the five thousand that should have been declared. Is that right? That's right, and see, these are the sort of details that are really kind of putting the minister under pressure. Now, the opposition are pressing this, but really the opposition know, right, that SIPO are going to be the ones to decide whether there's going to be investigation. SIPO will then investigate if they need to, and they will find out all these details, whether the minister went wrong, whether there was wrongdoing here. SIPO are the ones that have been charged to find these things out, and that's their job. Now, this has become kind of politicians policing politicians here because they, the opposition are demanding answers and they want to know when really that's SIPO's job. So, I mean, I met a, a TD outside the chamber on Wednesday evening after this whole debate happened, and I said, well, geez, that got heated in there, yeah. and the TD kind of looked at me and he said, well, it's all part of the game, isn't it? So, I think there is a little bit of an element from the opposition here that they want to try score a few points against Minister Dunahoo. And is there a question then uh, about uh, the relationship Pascal Dunahoo has with Michael Stone? Uh, as you say, they're friends. Uh, but is there a question of a, a quid pro quo type of thing? 
that's something I don't think is really, you know, like that's kind of the optics of it is, is that sort of a question. Yeah. Like, I mean, Sinn Féin and the doll, Mary Lou McDonald's kind of referenced this kind of cozy culture within Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and, you know, be sort of, that's sort of an issue. And I think that's kind of the nut of all of this is that because Michael Stone has gone on to take, uh, roles in the Land Development Agency and the Inner City Task Force and these sort of things. Now, he's not paid for those roles. He waives those roles, uh, waives the, the payments for those roles, and he, he's doing them kind of voluntary. But he was appointed by Fine Gael government to those positions. And so he's a supporter of Minister Dunne, who's a supporter of Fine Gael, and he's appointed to those positions. That's just the facts of it. Now, whether there's kind of a quid pro, pro like you said, is something that Obviously, SIPO and the likes will have to investigate. Okay, if they uh, are the ones who investigate it, if we don't get answers from uh, the Minister, if these questions uh, are, are left unanswered, uh, when will SIPO report? Uh, will uh, Minister Donoghue be in our, our distant memories at that stage? That's the key question here, and I think the key question is around that timeline. So obviously this is going to drag on for another week in in the headlines with Minister Donoghue due to speak next week, and we'll, the fallout from what he says, and there's going to be any new information. But the real key thing here is, do SIPO decide that they're going to launch an investigation? And that, from what I'm told, is usually a process that takes a couple of weeks. So it started last week. It'll probably be sometime in February that we hear whether SIPO have decided they're going to be, there's going to be an investigation. Now, if they decide there's going to be no investigation, that's likely to be the end of this issue. It'll put it to bed. Mm. If they decide that an investigation is needed, that will trundle on for a number of months because those investigations are really, you know, detailed sort of stuff that they get into. So I think this could be one that runs long term if SIPO decide that there's an investigation needed. Okay, and uh, another investigation uh, will be ongoing uh, into Damien English. I'd say after Damien English, Fine Gael feels it needs this like a hole in the head. Yeah, really, and it, it was a, a difficult winter break for them with all this happening as well in the past couple of weeks. And it's not something, it's not the, the start that Tisha Cleo Bracker would have wanted to uh, the, the new year. All right, we'll leave it there for the moment. Uh, we've at least another five days of it, uh, and that's at a, a minimum, it seems. Adam, thank you very much indeed, as always, for joining us today. Adam Higgins, political correspondent with The Irish Sun. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. I'm, I'm a firm believer that like, you know, prevention is the best cure. Uh, like, I know older people come to make consistency. I'm to go to the dentist. They just say to the dentist, they give up. She says, listen, pull them all out. It's because I can't afford to come back again. Minnesota, in this day and age, Minnesota, we can't afford that at the moment. Like children, if I see children at six, seven, eight years old who can make tennis with their parents and their teeth, God forgive me, they're all over the place. A, a simple wee thing of maybe getting an examination or getting a brace coming in, going into school in the morning time and, 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 and sit beside their, college, their children in school and, and they're saying to each other, who, there's a smell of someone's breath and everything else in the moment, Minnesota. It's, it's, it's wrong, it's wrong, it's wrong. Minister, all I'm saying is for all the organisations to get together, communication is the best way. I do think that everybody wants the best for our children and for, and for our families and everything else. So please sit down, renegotiate and get the system back up and running. Now that's Independent TD for Louth, Peter Fitzpatrick, uh, speaking uh, to a dull motion uh, tabled by the regional group of TDs last night, which would reform dental care in this country and make dental services available to people who have medical cards. Last year, post-COVID, the allocation to oral health care was over €200 million, Euro, uh, which, is a, which is a very sizable uh, investment in oral health care uh, from the government. Uh, it does show a commitment to um, the best possible oral health care, uh, that we want this, we know we're not there, 
Uh, but we are committed to uh, improving it. That's Minister for Health Stephen Donnelly responding. Let's speak uh, to Peter Fitzpatrick. Good morning to you and thanks for joining us on uh, the programme uh, this morning. Do you believe the government is committed to, to the best oral health care for medical card patients? Michael, my simple answer is no. Like uh, I spoke, I spoke yesterday, and uh, and uh, the amount of people coming to my constituency office in Dundalk and Savannah now, it, it, it's, it's it's serious. Uh, I think I think I think with the government, this this dental service, this you know this this this, this uh, dental treatment uh, service scheme at the moment is a, a total and utter disaster. Uh, when I sat down there yesterday to speak, I realised if you go back to 2011, there was 1,428 dentists in the scheme. And in 2021, I was down to 993. And when I spoke to the Dentist Association there yesterday, they told me that there's less than 600 being, 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 being informed. There's something seriously wrong. I don't think it's the money. I just think it's communication. For some unknown reason, for the last number of years, this government doesn't seem to be able to sit down and talk to, to, talk to organisations like dentists as such. Mm-hmm. Like even there, uh, uh, if you look at, the, for example, say, say there last year, there was, three, there, was, there was 300 students enrolled in, in, in two of our, our dental schools in Cork and Dublin. And 50% of them students were outside of, of the country. And, uh, and, and, and like, it's nearly impossible at the moment. And I, I spoke to dentists in the areas. They can't get dentists. They can't get technicians. They can't get nothing. And, uh, and the, the well, they're not being paid always, enough by the government. I mean, that seems uh, to be at the root of this. As a medical card patient, you're entitled to free dental care, but you can't get to see a dentist because there isn't a, a dentist who'll take a medical card patient. Well, as I said, Michael, that's down from back in 2011 from 1,400 down to less than 600. Mm. But, Michael, also at the same time, too, is if you look in, in 2021, we had 1.55 million people on, that had medical cards. That was 30.8% of the, of the total population. But, but Michael, uh, if you go back to 2012, we had 1.85 million people with medical cards, which was 40%. So there's an awful lot less people having medical cards at the moment. Is. And the simple reason at the moment is the cost has gone up. The government needs to sit down with these dentists and see what the situation there at the moment is. There's children, Michael, waiting 10 years to get the, the, the first oral test. Like children supposed to get it in primary school, and they're not getting it until they just go into secondary school. And prevention, I mentioned that word, prevention is the best cure. Because it, 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 it's causing heart attacks, it's causing diabetes, it's causing a awful lot of problems. And prevention is the way to go forward. Mm. Like Stephen Donnelly, yesterday, this isn't this talking yesterday, uh, we have 200 million here. But there's no one seems to be sitting down with, with the dentists and having a, having a situation, what's happening? Like, we, we, we just don't, like in the last 20 or 30 years, we haven't increased nothing at all. Nothing has done. And I said, you like Simon Howells went down to UCC back in 2019, and he told us out and he promised heaven and earth. And this is all four or five years later and there's nothing done. We have a serious shortage of dentists. Like, it's, it's not nice when you see a child coming to my consistency office and the situation of teaching in a really, really bad way. I have old people come to my consistency office mm. and tell me when they do a dentist. And it's not that bad. It just says, dentist, take whatever you want because they're not coming back. It's, it's, it's safe. And I don't know, Mike, and I'm sure like you and everybody else is, it's not nice having having a uh, having a two day because I'll tell you one thing a two day is very very sore and it's very and and, and you want to if you're being up looking for a dentist and you can't get a dentist if most people in the dark are heading down to an area or going abroad and that there that, that that's not right we have to get, get situations sorted out and the, the big situation at the moment is there's over a hundred thousand children on the public waiting list mm. and there's, and there's also there's also a six year waiting list for the orthodontic treatment and. 
And just the HSE alone, just taking the, the HSE at the moment, they're short 76 dentists at the moment to catch up. They're, fifth, you know, they're, they're 15 years nearly behind. Like, it's, it's gone crazy at the moment. And I'll tell you what, I, I branch out there at the moment is, and what's happening is the parents have to go away, put their hands in their pockets and go away and pay the dentist. Yeah, it's only we can get get seen, uh, and that's if uh, they can get one locally. We've heard uh, of people paying for dentists and having to travel to Dublin to see a, a dentist. Uh, George Bernard Shaw is quoted in the Irish Independent today to the person with a toothache. Even if the word world is tottering, there's nothing more important than a visit to a dentist. Vladimir Nabokov is quoted in the Irish Independent today, claiming a, a toothache could cost a battle. William Shakespeare is also quoted in the Irish Independent today, insisting not even a philosopher could endure toothache patiently. It really is something that takes over every aspect of your being when you have a very bad toothache, if you need a a tooth pulled. But if you can't get it pulled uh, and you're being told to go uh, away, what do you do except get out a pair of pliers? Is that the country we're living in, in today? Like you, you might believe this, Michael, but I can remember my father years ago getting a bit of cord and tying it around his tooth and, and t- attaching to a door and pulling it and pulling the tooth out. A bottle Michael, of whiskey. We, mm. Oh, Michael, mm. we can't go back to them days. And I, I was listening to Stephen Donnelly yesterday saying about 15 million here and 5 million there and 200 million there. If you look at it, the government, I'm, I was looking at a CSO report there back as far as 2018. Now, and uh, they were talking about the money that was paid to dental practitioners. Now, back, back then, the, the government paid 111 million to dentists, right? That's only, that was 23% of the total. And, and if the people, the private people, the people in the pockets, they were paying 72%, which is 351 million. And then the VHI paying the balance. Mm. So it, it, it's the normal Joe Soap that the, the people, who, they, they, they have to go in and pay there. Like, like having a medical card nowadays means absolutely nothing because you just can't get the service. And the situation there is these are the people that can't afford to pay the dentist. These are the children that are in the school with bad teeth and everything else at the moment is, that were supposed to be seen two or three times before the tennis primary school. They were in secondary school now at the moment, 15 and 16 years of age with bad teeth in their heads. Now they're, they're going to be obese, they're going to have heart problems and everything else at the moment is. So, I, and like the Dentist Association, they do want to sit down. But we're going to mm. have to go outside. My, the, the well, I, I see the chief executive of the Irish Dental Association, Fintan Hurrahan, quoted yeah. in the Irish Daily Mail today talking about the Dental Treatment Services Scheme, DTSS, and how that was developed in 1994. That's nearly 30 years ago. Michael, as I said to you, I don't know what's wrong with this government at the moment. Uh, and in fairness, Michael, I, I, I put my hand up. I support the government many of the time. They're doing a great job at the moment. But the situation is, our dental situation at the moment, is in a, it, 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 it's in crisis. And, and it, it's the future generation I'm very, very worried about. Because I'll tell you one thing, I remember years ago, like my mother, my show up in the morning, she gave the two parts to two, and the whole time I showed you, you were done. You, you had no problem going to see a dentist and anything else. But nowadays, as you said, Michael, it's nearly impossible to go and see a dentist. And, I, and especially after, after the children, especially when they lose their, 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 their first set of teeth, and then they're onto their, their permanent teeth and that there. It, it's wrong. Uh, we have to sit down, and we just need to get more people involved. We have to go outside the EEA to, to get more in. And I think every other country is doing it there at the moment. Is. So the, I, think, I think the government should sit down with the Dentist Association and put a plan going forward. Like 300, 300 uh, uh, dentists uh, enrolled in every year is not enough. And if you look at, it, look at it, if you look at now the students, 
like students at the moment, the number one on the list at the moment on the CEO forms is people who want to become dentists. But the problem is there's none there. And mm. they have to go abroad or wherever it is at the moment. As I said, yeah, we have 300 students enrolled in Cork and Dublin at the moment, is, and half of them at the moment, as I said, the country is. And we have, we have, we have hundreds, maybe, of our own well-educated uh, students having to go outside Ireland to, to, get, to get the course on. And the problem is, if you leave the country, like, it's very hard to get them all to come back here at the moment. Is. Like, uh, the government said we have the money. I said that we, we just need, we just need to, to get the dental treatment services back up and running properly. And uh, I, I do realise that the dentists are, are short-staffed. Uh, I, I, said, yeah, and I spoke mm. to a dentist during the week there. He was telling me again that it's, it's impossible. They can't get dentists. The 50, there's a shortfall at the moment of 55% of dentists and 65% and dentists and dental practitioners. Yeah. It's just really, really short. Yeah. So the government, please, I said to Stephen Donnelly yesterday, sit, sit down and talk to the relevant parties because, Michael, if the money is there, this can be sorted out. Yeah. So get, get, get the right people sitting okay. in the room and start looking after our, gen, our young generation and the old generation. People need to be looked after. Yeah, we really have a problem with health services. It's a, it's a very similar story to that of uh, the GPs. While you're with us and before you go, do you want to share your thoughts on uh, the situation that Pascal Donoghue has found himself in or will you be waiting to hear what he has to say on Tuesday? Yeah. Uh, uh, Pascal Pas- Donahue has got himself in serious trouble. Uh, the, the one thing, Michael, I will say, Michael, is that uh, there's an investigation, an independent investigation done by CEPO. I think uh, I think it's very important that we let CEPO do, do, do their job and do it unhindered. Like, uh, we, we've been calling for them for years and years to give them more power and to have greater influence. And I think it's very, very important. I don't mm, think but it'll take off. years. I mean, there are simple enough questions that he could answer himself now without being investigated to get to the answers. But you know, to, to for somebody going in uh, and um, I- I- interrogating the situation, uh, they're they're straightforward questions that can be answered very easily. I would have thought. Well, Michael, if that was me, Michael, I'd have no problem whatsoever. Now, I will be honest. I looked. I looked at Pascal Dunhu yesterday in, in the doll, and to me, he looked like a broken man. Uh, I think that the, the pressure is coming on him. Uh, he came into the doll, he spoke there uh, on Wednesday, and now uh, he, he was doing questions there yesterday. The doll was interrupted by Sinn Féin. Sinn Féin asked more questions, and the doll was suspended. I seen uh, leaders' questions. He was sitting beside the tarnish or Michal Martin there yesterday. And I'm telling you, he looked like a broken man. I think the pressure yesterday has got him. He's, he's, he's coming into the doll next week to talk again. Like, you know, it, 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 the way I look at it, Michael, is, like, uh, uh, we all make mistakes. We all put our hands up and everything else. And if you make a mistake, I, I know for, for example, Michael is uh, if, if I if I if I've done something wrong and you put your hand up and you apologise, a, a lot of people would forgive you. But uh, people people just think there's an awful lot of answers and questions need to be asked. I, I think Pascal, if, if Pascal, if I was Pascal, I'd come in next week. I'd sit there and I'd give everybody an opportunity because it's not going to go away. And I think I think when he does come in to do the questions and answers, and if, if people are happy with him, uh, it'll move on. But I have a funny feeling, uh, uh, Michael. I have a funny feeling it's going to be a motion of no confidence at the end of next week on Pascal. And I think that that's where it's going to go next week. All right, we'll see what the minister has to say. I suppose uh, on Tuesday. But we we'll leave it there. And thank you for joining us today. That's uh, Independent TD for Louth and East Mead, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael Reed on LMFM. Now, we all know we have a housing crisis. Uh, There just isn't enough accommodation available in this country for the amount of people who need to live somewhere. In Dublin, they say there are some 8,600 properties that are 
under-occupied. It's an interesting turn of phrase uh, and uh, if uh, it's a phrase you use, it's a phrase that is often used, you'll probably know, to encourage people to downsize from their under-occupied house or apartment or whatever the case may be. Downsizing, an interesting turn of phrase in itself and apparently the council in Dunleary Rath Down are encouraging people to right-size. Let's uh, speak uh, to Celine Clark, Head of Advocacy and Communications with Age Action Ireland. Good morning, Celine, and thanks uh, for joining us uh, on uh, the programme uh, this morning. It's a turn of phrase that has been used by the council, but what does it mean? Is it subjective or is it objective? Uh, who is it that decides what size house is the right size for people? Uh, good morning, Michael. Well, that's a the, the question to ask, really, because it, the, the answer lies in who is deciding for themselves where they want to live. So the motivation between a right-sizing policy or a downsizing policy has to be to respectfully meet the needs, preferences, aspirations of older persons encapsulated in the idea of ageing in place. So what that means is we know that the vast majority of older people want to age in the home or at least in the community in which they've built their lives. So this is all really about choice and control. Um, So some people will want to move to a different home that maybe meets their needs better in terms of being more accessible or easier to maintain or maybe better access to transport. But they definitely want to stay within the community that they're in. Um, And oftentimes we don't have that option when we're older, that there isn't the available, suitable, affordable accommodation. So the idea then of putting pressure on people to right-size or downsize because Mm. they have more rooms than they need and targeting older people as a particular cohort for us is is an ageist attitude. Um, It undervalues older people and it's very simplistic um, to, to think that because you have a few rooms that you're not occupying that you don't need them yeah. or that you're in the way either of other people being able to use those rooms um, and it would, it's just not acceptable and I don't think it would be it's, acceptable to talk about any other cohort of the population. In it's the extremely way. disrespectful for people who've toiled night and day uh, to buy a house and to pay off the mortgage uh, and to make a a family home out of that building Uh, and all that goes with that the years of memories and bringing up the family perhaps a spouse who's passed away and so on and then to tell somebody that you're not entitled to live there yeah, or that you're in the way, you know, and I think it's, it's a very emotive issue. Like home is a very emotive issue for all of us, for all the reasons that you just said, if you're lucky enough to have one, of course. Um, and so we have to be really respectful in, in how we talk about um, the policies that will support people to get into the home that best suits their needs. And that's what we're all about is providing the choice for people. If people want to move, then the first thing has to be, is there somewhere suitable for me to move? Can I afford it? Can I manage all that comes with the buying and selling? Um, and are there supports there for me now? Thankfully, there are supports being developed. Um, there's a pilot scheme called the um, Healthy Age Friendly Homes Pilot um, in some local authorities, which supports people to you know, figure out um, how best they may want to move and where to find a home to move to and um, supports them in that process. And that's a good thing for those that want to move. And um, we have to get the balance right here. Like we know that 
you know, at least 48% of older persons do not have adequate housing as defined by the UN standard. And that can mean that maybe more than one in eight people over the age of 65 are living in a home that has a leaking roof or damp walls, floors or foundations, rot in the window frames. Um, And they can all be reasons why someone doesn't want to stay there, you know, Mm. because they can't afford to maintain the home or to upgrade the home. And that's one reason why someone might want to, to move. Um, but equally, if that person was supported to be able to maintain that home, um, they could stay there. Um, so it, it shouldn't be about moving people from one home to another because it's too big for you. We've decided it should be because that's what you want to do. Mm. Um, is this um, intentionally or unintentionally resulting in older people feeling responsible for all of the people in this country who can't get somewhere to live and asking themselves uh, these questions themselves. uh, Am I in the way? Uh, Am I entitled to be here? Should I be giving this up? Should I be giving the rooms over to somebody else if I don't move out? Maybe I should move out. Is that the kind of thing that goes on in people's minds? Yeah, definitely. The people do tell us, um, some older people, we've done a lot of research on this and we worked with UCC last year actually um, on a project looking at ageing in place for rural people living in rural areas and the barriers that they face. And that was definitely one of the things that came up was the pressure that they feel that they're rocking around in a home that uh, people say is too big for them. And, oh, you can't manage it, mom, or, you know, dad, you need a bit of help. Maybe we should get, you know, move to an apartment or a smaller space, you know, and this kind of, uh, you know, conversation can happen within the family, but, you know, it can also happen within a policy context as Mm -hmm. well, as we can see. And it does sort of seep into people's minds and kind of feel, oh, well, maybe I should. And but unfortunately, even if you get to the point where you want to, there isn't going to be a suitable home for you necessarily within the community in which you've built your life. And community is really, really important. And all the research shows that people over the age of 70 are more unlikely to want to move because they've established themselves in the community and friends, family, um, access to healthcare, transport or whatever mm. that they have there. It's, the, it's they, their home, Celine. It's their home, exactly. <laughs> it's it's their easy. home. Like we yeah. spend ages mm. trying to build one, yeah. make one, um, and we want to stay in it mm. um, for as long as possible. So for us, supports to be able to stay in your home for as long as possible and to maintain your home. That's why we have a care and repair service which does free DIY jobs in the homes of older persons um, around the country, right. predominantly mm. in Galway, Cork, um, and Dublin. That's um, available through Age Action Ireland. It's yeah. available through mm-hmm. Age Action Ireland, yeah, mm-hmm. because we know that some people, when they get it older, find doing things like changing a light bulb or cleaning the gutters or maintaining the garden a little bit more difficult. And so we have the service that supports them. But we know that people can begin to lose their independence when they can't maintain their home or feel like they can't cope. And so they look for maybe alternative options. And that can be sometimes going into residential care because they can't get the home supports necessarily that they need at home. So all of the services that we need when we're older in terms of being able to maintain our independence, stay at home with home care, um, have accessible homes. If we built homes to a standard of universal design, we, we would be able to stay in them for longer, even if we acquire some sort of mobility or disability. Um, so it's about a long-term planning that we that's needed to our housing policy, absolutely. Mm. But a focus on a small group of people who are 
you know, the term under occupying their home is not helpful, can be ageist, definitely. Mm. People tell us that they do not want to be downsized, right sized or told that they're in the way. Mm. Mind your own business is another turn of phrase that comes to mind. Celine, thank you indeed uh, for joining us on the programme this morning. Celine Clark, Head of Advocacy and Communications with Age Action Ireland. Michael, Michael Reed, Reed on, on LMFM. Uh, thanks, uh, Desi in Balbriggan, who says uh, they say there's a shortage of dentists, but if you're able to pay, you'll get an appointment and without much of a, a problem, Desi says. Tom in Navin says, Michael, how long more do we have to endure this? Pascal Dunhu, Simon Coveney. What's wrong with Simon Coveney? Damien English, Phil Hogan, Leo Bradker. Uh, <laughs> I don't think uh, Tom is a Fine Gael supporter. He says it's a disgrace. Uh, we'd Robbie in touch with us saying, Michael, I see you've had Tobin on again. Why don't you ask him uh, if he'll join with the Shinners to form a government? Uh, seems uh, to have uh, the answer to everything. Uh, and same uh, kind of stuff uh, coming from him as people before. Prophet says, Robbie, Linda is a mead, and she says, Michael Reid, get a life. It really doesn't matter what people call the A and E. And also, who runs these protests? Padder is the only man to do anything to save the hospital. And she says, you are a very arrogant man. I know, Linda, I know, sorry. Um, we'd uh, a similar uh, call uh, to us, because uh, I did ask Peter Tobey why he called the emergency department's A&Es, uh, and he says it's because people call them A&Es, which I suppose is fair enough. Uh, and Tom said, how many years ago was it changed from A&E to ED, from accident and emergency to emergency department? Most people still call it an A&E. It's a pity you're so petty to be clutching at straws like that, Mickey says. Thought you were better than that, but you're not. Very petty, says Tom. Thank you indeed, Tom. Uh, been slapped on the wrist uh, for that uh, twice there now. Uh, Deirdre and Kel says uh, they need to keep uh, the emergency department at Our Ladies Hospital in Navin open. People in the county need the hospital big time. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for the hospital, says Deirdre. Thank you, Deirdre. I imagine you'll be at the protest at one o'clock tomorrow. Those protests taking place at one o'clock across 18 hospitals in the country, uh, Bar Limerick, which is at 11 o'clock if you do want to attend. Margaret, thank you for your text or WhatsApp message as well. And she says, Michael, the reason we have a useless health service is, uh, um, I don't know if she tells us, but she says we can have all of the wonderful doctors and nurses in the world. But if we haven't got the proper management, we don't have a hope. There's too many pen pushers and too much time wasted. No one to take charge and make proper decisions. Why can't the government employ a proper CEO to run our health service? Someone like Michael O'Leary would be ideal, she says. Uh, Thank you indeed uh, for that. Um, we'd uh, a number of messages that came from Anne in Siena who said uh, about shopping first of all people buy online without touching the goods all of the time that's absolutely right uh, and I think that there's two trends now in shopping isn't there one which is that online shopping and I think when you don't touch the goods people like that because they're also able to return them pretty easily uh, but then there's also the idea of going into the shop and uh, getting your hands on whatever it is that that you're looking at and seeing uh, the quality of it and so on. Uh, But she also sent a a couple of uh, funnies. 
and uh, I'm not sure I'll forgive you, Anne. Uh, because uh, you had me laughing at the health service. Uh, there's uh, two people sitting beside a patient in a hospital bed uh, and they're telling the man in the bed, we're not visitors, uh, we're waiting for your bed. Uh, and uh, then there's a, a doctor uh, speaking to another patient in a hospital bed and he's telling the man, what you have is incredibly rare. You wouldn't like a doctor telling you that. What you have is incredibly rare. It's called a bed. <laughs> Thanks, Anne. As I say, I'm not sure I'll forgive you for making me laugh at uh, our health service. Uh, something uh, from somebody, another WhatsApp message uh, saying, all this talk about Pascal Dunhu and nothing is going to happen. Oh, no, this is about Damien English, I, I take it, because uh, the texter says he resigned and he'll get a pension. Uh, if it is uh, about Damien English, he resigned as a, a junior minister um, uh, and uh, has uh, obviously uh, given up the salary that goes with that. Uh, but he continues as a TD uh, and has not resigned as a TD and will continue as a, a TD uh, until uh, the doll dissolves and uh, may look for re-election again or not. But in the meantime, he continues uh, to work on that salary of close to €100,000 a year now for uh, TDs. Uh, so it's not really a case of resigning, certainly not a case of, of resigning his seat in the case of Damien English. Speaking of the health service... One of the priorities of this government is to tackle hospital witness. When I raised the issue of capacity and resources in our Lady Alert's hospital Jordan last year, the Minister for Health agreed that the required resources has not been in place for a long time. He sanctioned the doubling of the numbers of emergency medical consultants in Jordan and launched phase two of the safe staffing framework. Regarding capacity, the Minister spoke of the Lourdes often step-down facilities so there would be more capacity in the hospital for emergency medicine. However, our Lady Alert's hospital is currently dealing with a deficit in medical staffing and busing capacity. On top of this, the decision to close Navinini will have a significant knock-on effect on Our Lady of Lourdes, which is of huge concern. The plan to downgrade and close Navinini needs to be abandoned and funding needs to be allocated to the acute services in Loudermead. I feel that the reopening of the Loud County Hospital in Dock is something that should be seriously considered and the, the infrastructure and capacity available immediately, which would alleviate the pressure within the time of capacity crisis. Tarnisher, I always come with a solution. This solution is... It's, I think now uh, is the right time to reopen Thank you, Deputy Fitzpatrick. the Lake County Hospital. Right. Uh, interesting. Uh, Peter Fitzpatrick speaking in uh, the Dáil yesterday, asking the Tarnisha to abandon the plan to close the emergency department in Navan and at the same time to reopen the emergency department in Dundalk. Interesting uh, in that there won't be a protest at Dundalk tomorrow. Uh, let's hear what Michal Martin had to say. Issues in relation to uh, the North East in, 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 in particular. I mean, there are clinical protocols that have already been adopted in terms of uh, a patient uh, going to the right hospital location for the right outcome. Um, I think that is the fundamental principle that governs how doctors respond to a particular um, emergency. But there is an issue in terms of pressures on hospitals. Of that, there is no doubt. Um, And the proper utilisation of Navin in terms of medical emergencies or indeed the pressure that comes on in terms of medical assessment units and so on, I think is critical. And utilisation of hospitals um, is, is, is in the most effective way is the key issue here in terms of the safety for the patient. 
and the best Thank outcome you, for the patient, which must be uppermost um, at all times. All right. I don't think there's going to be any change of policy any time soon, listening to the Tonish's response there. Uh, in the couple of minutes we have, let's uh, catch up on some comments we didn't come to yesterday. We were talking about the Navin rail line. Somebody saying we are looking for the train into Navin, but we've been doing that since the 1970s. Uh, Margaret was in touch, similar to a comment we heard a moment ago. Charlie, Bertie, Damien, Leo, Pascal. Uh, and how many more will come out of this can of worms? Thank you indeed uh, for that. Uh, somebody else, Tom, said Stephen Donnelly not uh, available uh, and no one from Fianna Fáil uh, to discuss hospital overcrowding on yesterday's programme. Did you try Fine Gael or the Greens? Come to think of it, has anyone seen any of the Greens lately? You know, the Green Party that are also in government will hold the main parties to uh, account. Uh, yeah, I think uh, there's uh, been a, a lot of uh, Green ministers uh, talking uh, and indeed TDs uh, actually I think Nasa Horrigan was uh, talking about her election campaign on RTE last night saying she thought Pascal Dunahoo must have got an unbelievably good deal if he could get it all done for 1100 said of the 5,000 that some others uh, uh, paid to get posters put up and down. Sean in Dublin 9 says, what a, a joke. We now have Fianna Fáil deputy speaking up for a Fine Gael minister who made incorrect statements. Nothing unusual here. It's just the pot calling the kettle black. Uh, and he says, has Fergus O'Dowd lost the plot? Who is this Pascal he keeps referring to Pascal O'Donoghue. Is it his buddy <laughs> or is it the minister, uh, says Sean, or worse to that effect? Uh, thank you indeed, uh, Sean. Uh, and thank you to everybody who's been in touch with us uh, today and indeed this week. Our time has run out in this. Uh, Maggie McGuire researched. Chris Murray was in the control tower. I'm Michael. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme on Monday morning at 9am right here on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.